Well, hello, hello. Hello, hello. Good morning, good morning. What else can I say? Will you copy? (laughs) Well, um, as you know, I always like to encourage you all to read the Word of God. And I encourage you to read uh, Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, I believe. Yes, Galatians chapter 6, 9 through 10, especially in regards... Yeah, 9 through 10. Make sure I wrote that. Yeah, 9 through 10. Um, especially in regards to today's message. And I always encourage you guys to pray. Uh, pray with someone, and I'm going to give you something to pray about. Um, so, Theoden Winnington Riley was born at 4.25 a.m. So, uh, Daniel Winnington and Dustin Riley are the parents, and Grandma Kathy Winnington, woohoo, right? Eight pounds, three ounces, 20 inches long. Amen. So there's lots of prayer that you can have tonight and tomorrow and the next days. Pray that the parents will be able to sleep and that the child will sleep, more specifically. So keep that in prayer. And then lastly, as you know, I always encourage, I'm always encouraging you guys to think about who you can talk to about the Lord, how the Lord may use you. And remember, we have these tracks in the back. Uh, in the foyer over to your right, as soon as you leave, that you can pick one up, read through it, and maybe just give it to someone or give it to uh, even a server uh, you know, at a restaurant that, you know, to, to get the word out uh, as much as we can. So let's go now to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. Uh, God, we're just so excited that this little one now is in the world. God, it's so exciting to hear of, of, of babies, Lord, and we just pray for protection upon this child And, Lord, we pray that this child will come to know you at an early age. Lord, I pray that same prayer for my own children that they come to know you. I pray that for all of our children, Lord, that are young, that they come to know you at a young age. And, God, uh, right now we just ask that as we come before you, before your word, that you convict our hearts of sin. Uh, Reveal the things, Lord, that we hide. Reveal the things that we don't even know that we're doing. Because, God, you, you are the true teacher, your Holy Spirit. He is the one that, that can really change our hearts and, and open our eyes to the things that we are always missing. God, I, I also pray that you just remind us that your plan is being worked out in this world. There is much to be distraught over. There is much to be concerned over. There is much to get angry about. But help us, Lord, to remember that everything is going to your sovereign plan in some way, and all will be made right. There is an end to this, that there will be a day of judgment. But for us, Lord, it will be a day of grace. And Lord, we pray that we can take that message out to all so they too can have grace. Be with those who are online. Be with those who may be still on their way or are not with us today, Lord. And be with all the churches that are meeting in whatever capacity, whatever that may be, Lord. Because truly, we all gather in your name. That's why we gather. It's for you and you alone that you will speak to us through your scripture so we can be encouraged. Thank you for being just a gracious God with us. Amen. So... As Christians who have faith in Christ, when we look to uh, this gospel message of grace, right, it is, it is meant, it is meant to, to remind us and encourage us that we have rest 
in Jesus Christ now. True spiritual rest. You know, it's a message that says God has, has taken care of everything for us through Jesus Christ, His Son. It's a message that states loudly that, that God came running after us sinners out of His love for us. That He sent His Son on this, this mission to free us to freedom from this exhausting and enslaving world of sin and death. You know, it's a message that says God remains faithful to us even when we are unfaithful to Him. He cares for us even though at times we don't care for Him. He's always thinking of us and loving us as His children even though many times we forget about Him and forget about His fatherly love over us. This gospel of God's grace says that God is now always with us, even at times when we don't, even when we don't acknowledge His presence. He is there with His grace and love over us. See, this message that we believe in says God is always for you, is always with you, though many times we are not for Him. That's why, I mean, hence, that's why we sin. That's why sin comes into our life. You know, it's a message that's so backwards from what we experience in this world because to, it's, it's this idea that the, the good came to save the evil. That's you and me. And not just save, but bring us and, and be adopted into a family based in love, grace, and forgiveness, all unconditionally. You know, God, uh, this, this holy God, came running and seeking after bad, evil, sinful people like you and me and the person sitting next to you. People who did not and do not measure up to his perfect standards. For God, in his very essence, demands perfection before him to be right with him. And we could never amount to that. We could never measure up to that. And in fact, before we knew him, we could care less about his standards. Yet this God, who we owe an eternal debt of, of, of sin towards, or because of our sin, we owe an eternal debt, he paid off all that debt, the debt we owed him by sending his son to, to take our place, to take the punishment that we deserve, to take the furious, eternal wrath that we deserved so that we can be with him forever solely by having faith in his son who died and came back to life to give us eternal life. I mean, that's, just, that's remarkable because I, I'm very honest, I would not give up my son or daughter for you to take your punishment in your place. I wouldn't do it. Yet that's exactly what God did for us. He did it to save us to be his children forever. We didn't have to work ourselves to him. We didn't have to climb a ladder to him. He came down to us. We did, this God of all grace did not say, clean yourself up before you come to me. No, he came to clean us up all by faith in Jesus Christ alone. 
So it is through faith alone in Jesus that we are saved, and it's through faith alone that we are being sanctified and being changed and being conformed to the image of His Son, His character, and His ways. And that, and, and that is one of the wonders of Christianity that Paul has been speaking about here in this latter part of Ephesians. He's been saying this to help us to continue to rest in Christ's finished work by faith alone as we live our lives. Paul, in a nutshell, essentially has said up to this point what God has done through Christ for us by faith. And now he is getting into the mode of pointing out what God, through Christ, is working in us all by faith. For what Paul is laying out here in chapter 4 This list, if you will, which we have read, is the natural outflow, the consequences of what happens to us as we come to know our Savior on a personal level. Not just hear about Him, but know Him. Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, shows you through His written Word, which is why the Bible is so essential in our lives, what you have been freed from. And what you are no longer bound by and what you've been freed to. You see in all these passages, there's the negative and then there's the positive. Stop doing this because you're free to do this. Or put differently, the Holy Spirit comes in and convicts you of your sin. He brings to mind your heart and to your heart the very things that we are to turn away from. And then he enables us to turn to Jesus He enables you by faith, through our faith, to run to Jesus and run run to his amazing and rest in his amazing grace. Paul is is, uh, over and over again, if you will, reminding these Ephesians and us that since we have faith now in Jesus, our sins are forgiven. We are unconditionally loved by God. And by his grace, we will and are able to live according to the ways of God. It's by faith. It's it's not in our strength, but His, relying upon Him. That's the wonder. And when we think we can do it, we always mess things up. And when we look to Him, we end up doing what He wants. See, because sin has no power over us now. Because we're able to repent of our sins, truly. And grow a massive distaste for our sins, the sins in our life. And though we may commit the same sin over and over again. There is this ever-growing disgust towards it, against it. And and it's it's a life now of constant repentance by faith in Christ now in which we live. You know, there's there's this uh, sorrow that comes about us that that we have done certain sins that are revealed through Scripture and in our life. And, And we have a sorrow that even that we want to do it. But then there's a greater comfort in knowing that Jesus died for it and loves us anyways, even if we fail him and end up sinning against him. For our sin is no longer held against us anymore. Its power has been removed. This debt has been officially and completely paid. And and through this process of, of turning to Jesus in all things, we grow closer to our Savior and rely upon Him. And He works His ways in us as we look to Him by faith. For we have such an amazing Savior who loves us as His own. And I know I've said this a few times already, but, but know, know this. Jesus Christ, 
He loves you so much that He died for you. He gave His whole life for you so you, so your whole life could be His. You know, and, and He will not forsake you. He has dealt with all that forsaking done upon the cross. He was forsaken so you don't have to be. And you won't be. With whatever's going on in your life. You know, truly, He is amazing and He keeps His promises unlike everyone else and anything else in this world. He is always there cheering you on, helping you, picking you up so you can get through this thing that we call life. And He will get us through it and He will bring us to Him all by faith alone, trusting in Him. So let's look then at our text today and see what we can learn and glean from His Word and see and see where His work is being done in our life. So our title today is Leaving Thievery Behind. So, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, which is our text today, it says this, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, before we take this apart, I really want us to see something here. For this passage is really upfront about a couple of things that we need to take notice of. He says, let the thief no longer steal. Now, why does that matter? And this brings us to our first point. God meets us in our sin. Right from the beginning. You don't have to be a, a hardcore theologian exegete to figure this stuff out. What I'm going to point out here. It means, let the thief no longer steal. It means there are thieves in that congregation or amongst amongst those congregations. There are thieves in there. Not that there were thieves, but there are those who are having a pattern of life who are stealing. You might say, yeah, so what? Well, remember who his audience is. Believers. Christians, people who have faith in Jesus Christ. So these thieves are people who have faith in Jesus Christ, who have put off the old man. You remember, he says, don't live like the Gentiles do anymore at the beginning of chapter 4 here. And they have put on a new man. He says, put on the new man. And that's what's so interesting here. Remember, this list of chapter 4 are things that are being committed in the churches. So you have believers here, believers who are doing evil deeds, doing things that are wrong and are sinful, and yet they're still considered children of God. And they have all the heavenly blessings and are seated with Christ spiritually. Now why make this a big point? I know it seems kind of awkward pointing that out. And I definitely know it makes our legalistic side start to sweat a bit when we really start to think about that. Why is that? Because it shows how truly gracious God is with us, even in our sins. And that's hard to admit that we are not good enough to earn the grace of God and blessings in our life. We like to think so. But understand, these people are thieves And yet they are valued and loved by God and have His grace upon them even though they are sinning. 
See, everything that Paul has stated from chapter 1 to chapter 3 is true of these people. They are, the, they are also the saints that he's addressing right from the very beginning of this book. Ephesians 1.1 says, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Jesus Christ. See, the God we are dealing with now by faith, that is now over us by faith, that is leading us by faith, that is with us by faith, who saved us by faith, and is, he is all of this to us solely because of his grace alone. His grace is not based upon what we do, but what has been done through Jesus Christ. See, these thieves did not have to clean themselves up to come to know Jesus by faith. They didn't have to fix their life. They didn't have to make themselves squeaky clean and get rid of the things that we don't like. They just had to place their faith in Jesus and see Him as their Savior, even with what little faith they had, even though there was big sins in their life that affected many. For in Christ, they are seen as faithful to God. All because of Jesus. His works justified them before God. It had nothing to do with what they did, but what has been done by Jesus alone. And looking at these six words right here should give us such encouragement then, even as we struggle with our own sins, with our own failures, with our own mess-ups. It should remind us how truly free we are now in Christ. To know that Jesus truly has done it all for us. That he is our savior to the max, to the fullest. That our debt is paid and it is truly finished for us in Christ. I mean, just looking at the beginning of these verses, or of this verse, looking at those first six words, it proves what Paul has stated earlier in chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing." It is the gift of God, not at the results of works, so that no one may boast. We are saved by whom we believe in, whom we trust in, who we have faith in, and not by what we do or have done or are going to do. For the gospel brings true hope to sinners such as you and I and to those around us. It brings true freedom. It brings true peace and rest. It doesn't bring bondage and guilt. The gospel is so burden-breaking. It's such a breakthrough concept over our sin to know that God loves us, loves us sinners and has called us His own despite of our sin in our life. All because we have faith in Jesus Christ and His works, in His faithfulness, in His obedience on our behalf and not our own. Now, I know the question may come, are, are you trying, John, to justify our sins before God then? Are you saying that Paul here is saying it's okay to just keep on sinning? No, not at all. That's not what I'm getting at, and that's not what Paul is getting at. For this verse is speaking to the thieves to stop stealing, to stop sinning. I only make this point, or much of it, because when you understand and see how amazing our God is in the first place, how gracious He is, then you can begin to fight the sin you are seeing in your life. Only then can you start to see real change in your life in regards to your sin. 
Only then can you have a change in our attitude towards the sin being revealed to you when you see how gracious God is with you. It's only by focusing on how great our God is, how loving He is, knowing He sent His Son to die for every sin that we have committed, are committing, and will commit, so that you can be with Him for eternity and be blessed with His grace and favorable presence that you will see how free you are from the power of sin in your life. Even if you commit the sin, you will repent of it and say, That's not me, for I am Christ. By faith in Christ, we will detach more and more from the sins in our life and have more of a disgust towards them and have an ever-growing confidence in the rest that Jesus Christ provides for us by faith alone. For the more you focus on Jesus, the more you will see He is truly your everything. And your sin cannot provide anything for you that you don't have already in Jesus. And in fact, what you have in Jesus is even better than what sin can offer you. Looking to Jesus alone will reveal that. Now, there's another dynamic here that I would like to point out in looking at this first part of the text, this let the thief no longer steal. And this brings us to our second point. Trust God to supply all of our needs. Now, the main focus here for Paul in the direct context is people who are physically stealing or cheating people or organizations out of their money or stuff. And they need to stop doing such. He's not excusing sin. And there are many reasons for them to try to justify their stealing. But ultimately, the main reason why anyone steals on any level is that we're not trusting God to be the provider that he says he'll be. To see him as our everything, as our ultimate security and ultimate comfort and ultimate joy. And to be a bit contemporary in how many of us are tempted to be thieves in some ways, or maybe we are currently thieves, One big way is that we try to cheat the tax system because we don't like what the government is doing or we don't think they really deserve our money. Or we do personal business on company time, pushing our clock out bit time a bit over so we can get that overtime for a slightly bigger paycheck because they can afford it. You need to live. And besides, they treat you badly anyways and they owe it to you. Or worse... In this digital age, we can copy things that we shouldn't be copying and handing out. We can share passwords with things that are meant really just for you or your immediate family, but we give it out anyways because eh, there's really no consequence and everyone else is doing it anyways. Still stealing. No matter how big or how small, the law is the law, whether it's enforced or not. And this list can get really long, okay? (laughs) Like, we can just keep on going. So if God's revealing something to you, go to him to help you no longer steal with whatever it is. And guess what? He will help you. For he loves you, and Jesus died for you, so you can be free and have full confidence in God to provide for you whatever you're needing, whatever that may be. But before we leave this topic... I want to take this no longer steal principle and expand on it, all because maybe there are some of you, when you analyze, you're like, eh, I'm actually pretty disciplined in this no theft stuff, or at least physically. Yet there's something in which I think we're all guilty of, 
in which we all end up being thieves in some sense. Now, you might ask, in relation to who? Well, with God. Well, what could that possibly be? Well, I think one of the biggest things is when we do things out of duty to God, and we do the right thing, but our hearts aren't in it at all. How many times do you end up doing the right thing end up, and end up, that it's glad, or end up glad that it's over? You're not glad while you're doing it. You're glad it's gone. You're smiling on the outside, but in the inside you are complaining to God, complaining about the people around you, whatever it may be, whining and judging and saying, I can't believe this, and you are angry and belittling in your mind, in your heart, with everything that you're doing. But on the outside, no one can tell, whether that be your family members or people in church or people in the neighborhood or at your job, whatever be the case. And you can't wait to be, for it to be done so you can get out of there and have time on your own. When we do that, we, still, we steal the honor God deserves from our good works, from our hearts. We steal the gratitude that our Lord deserves, that we owe to Him with our hearts and our minds, that we get to be His tools of grace in other people's lives. Whether that's with families, strangers, or whoever. Too easily in our good works in this life, even in our serving each other in church, we end up resembling in our hearts, what, uh, to God, what Isaiah 29, 13 says. These people draw near to me with their mouths, mouths and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. Now you might be wondering, well, are you saying then we should only do good, good works when we feel like it? When our hearts are into it? No. Obviously, No. Please do good things even if you don't want to. Okay? That's not the point. I only bring this up for all of us to know that we are all guilty in our hearts for theft in some way before God, for stealing the gratitude and honor that He deserves from us. But praise be to God for His grace, for He doesn't even hold that sin against us. He loves us anyway. And then may we go to Him by faith to look to Him then to supply not only the strength to do the good works, but also to trust Him with what we do and to supply the right motivation and attitude as we do it. For the law demands perfection, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally. The why matters before God. Now, is that the main point of what Paul's saying here? No, not necessarily. For again, the direct context is with physical stealing, but ultimately, he is dealing with heart issues with us before God that become manifested in our physical doings or lifestyles. And if your heart is not right in this area with whatever may be, then what Paul may say next here will seem more like a burden and bondage to you because as with all theft in any sense of the word, the focus is all on you rather than the other anyways. That's what sin does. 
Life is about me at the expense of others in some sense, rather than serving others at the expense of self, which is fully revealed in the gospel of God's grace. But we're going to bring it back here to the direct context in regards to physical theft. Paul says this, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. And this brings us to our last point. We are to live a life of generosity. Paul here is basically saying, because you are a new creation in Christ, you have everything you need in him to no longer live selfishly or self-centered anymore. So this phrase taken as a whole, right, because we're getting to the direct context, means that each Christian now is one that has been freed to a life of working an honest job with a clear conscience. On a quick side note here, the word honest there in the Greek means finding a job that is morally good and beneficial. He's getting really practical with this stuff. Which implies there are jobs out there that are contrary to the laws and ways of God that Christians should not take part in. So in this case, Paul is telling the thief, stop stealing and go find a job that one can have a clear conscience before God and his ways. For though we are no longer condemned by God's laws, the laws or his ways are there to reveal to us the norms of the Christian life, even if we don't perform them perfectly, but by faith in Christ, our hearts will want to follow after the ways of God as he reveals them to us more and more through Scripture and reveals to us the sin we're supposed to run from through Scripture. For we were created for good works, not bad ones. That implies our jobs, too, and our lives and whatever we do. God has those good works prepared for us to do by the power of faith in Christ. You know, Paul said, said that earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So Paul here adds one more thing or really gives us the motivation as to why these thieves should pursue an honest living, as, as we all should, and whatever be the case. And their motivation is really motivation for us all. Paul says, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. See, by pursuing the ways of God by faith, following after him, it frees us from seeing only self, and frees us to truly see others and their needs. When the focus is on Christ and knowing Him more and learning Him and His ways, you end up having this thing called a generous heart towards the people around you. Or at least it begins to grow in generosity. For again, by seeing how God is gracious with you in your life, by trusting Him to provide everything you truly need in this world and Him revealing to you that you have it all in Jesus, it frees you to help others around you. See, the reason, right, again, being direct with the text, the reason we get honest jobs is to not only live honestly before God and to reveal that we are trusting Him to provide for us, right, according to His ways, because we believe His ways are the way of true freedom, the way of true joy, the way of true hope, and the true security in this life. But it also makes us grow to help those in and around us because we have generous 
growing hearts in us now. Now notice it says to share something, right? Not everything, right? Because you can take it to an extreme. Paul is not telling, telling that we, saying that we have to give everything away. He's not saying that we cannot take care of ourselves. He's not telling these thieves to go live a monastic life and go eat dirt and worms. Right? That's not what he's saying here. But what he is saying is that there are great benefits and purposes in following after the ways of God, which involve even our very jobs that we pursue in this life. It's not there to make the most money for ourselves. It's there to help others, especially from the context of this book, those who are the household of faith. See, the thief only looks out for themselves at whatever cost or harm to others. But now, Paul says, they are to look out for themselves so that they can help or benefit others. See, as one person said, God doesn't need your good works. He has everything. Good, but, but your neighbor does. He needs your good works. She needs your good works. See, our neighbors and our loved ones and, and Christian brothers and sisters need good wor- our good works in their life. And they need our good deeds and they need our generous hearts in this life. And God uses us to bless them through our works. And for the context, our jobs are one of those ways in which we can. So as we acquire material things, as we acquire our finances or whatever... We get these things to help others because we know our ultimate needs and desires are fulfilled in Christ. Life is no longer a prison about acquiring or gaining anymore, but about lives which are freed to give to others. I mean, that's that, I mean, to begin, very practical. That's one, of, that's one of the reasons why we give a portion of our finances as offerings to the Lord on Sundays. For it's out of a generous heart that we give to the Lord in knowing that he will provide for us and that he will use our finances, our financial offerings to do his work, to build his kingdom through the church to benefit the people around us. So in summary, our lives, when we focus on Christ, we consequently become more and more of a person that, re- that reflects generosity in all things to those around us. The more we look to Christ, his truth and his ways will stir up generous hearts in us who will create in us a will to want to help those in need around us. The more we focus on Jesus, we will end up seeing the needs of those around us and, and, and being that we are increasing and in seeing how Christ is our everything, it frees us up to see everything we have, time, material items, food, money, our strength, our wisdom, whatever. It frees us up to see everything that we have as becoming an opportunity to help those around us with whatever it is. To serve people around us with an open heart and want to do it. Because our hearts are now alive in Christ when they were dead at one time and all we could see is me. But now we can see us. 
They were just stones. But now it's flesh. And we're now able to truly love those around us and want to help them. See, what Paul says here is not to bind us, but to free us and know that even if we fail at doing such things, which we all do, I know I do, We only need then to turn to Jesus and he will remind us that we are forgiven and loved and he will provide all that we need to serve him and to serve those around us with whatever we have, even if it's little. We just need to rest in his grace alone by faith. For Jesus and his grace is enough for us. For it is truly finished in him and by him, all by faith alone. Let's go now to the Lord in prayer. The deacons will come forward if you'd like to pray with them. You can always come up here and pray if you'd like, or pray where you're at. But let's go to the Lord now and just ask him to bless our hearts. And if you don't know him, I invite you to come know him today. Just trust in him. That's all you got to do. Say, Lord, I, I need you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. God, help us to put our fevery behind. Maybe we live lives that honor and glorify you in all things by your strength. Help us, Lord, to keep Jesus at the center, at the focus. Help us to remove any obstacle or hindrances and sins that lie in the way that make the focus on us. Help us, Lord, to just trust in you. God, if there's someone here today that's struggling, if there's couples that are struggling and just having this hard time, Lord, of of serving each other and loving each other, or maybe serving other people in their lives, Lord, I pray that you give them grace. Remind them of the grace that they have and the grace that can be worked through them. And that will be worked through them to all that they come in contact with. So they can serve you with honorable hearts and and hearts of gratitude that your word and your strength and your power is being worked through them to serve the people around them so that your name may be magnified. And if someone doesn't know you here today, Lord, I pray you go to them and say, you are forgiven. All the sins are taken care of in Jesus. Just trust in him. Thank you, Lord, for this time and for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.